Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. It's a mailbag Monday, Logan. Before we dive in, uh, we're very excited already for our second episode this week. A little bit of housekeeping off the top. Uh, Jordan Rodrigue just released a brand new series for The Athletic called The Play Callers. Uh, Logan and I have already started listening to it as we're recording this. It's only been out for a couple of hours, but so impressed, so blown away with uh, this series. And we already have an interview on the books with Jordan for Wednesday. So that is going to be super exciting because, Logan, I know Jordan's been doing a lot of press for the series. For for those that don't know, this is a kind of a, a backstory of Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur um from their time even before washington through the time in washington and how they've all worked to evolve modern nfl offense uh and now their coaching trees take up about a third of the league but i don't know how many interviews she's done with people who actually played for these guys and specifically <laughs> played on that 2012 washington team so I'm, yeah. I'm really excited for this on wednesday yeah no me too and i think just you know i just started i'm probably 30 minutes into the first episode and just the level of detail like kind of the historical context you know, the background of Kyle, like kind of his getting into his mind, like those are uh, the first 30 minutes were really interesting just to kind of give like a little preview because it like shows you the absolute obsession that those guys have with coaching. And everyone says, Oh, I want to be a head coach, but like to be a good head coach, it is, it is like, it's a huge part of your life in a way that is almost unhealthy. And I think she did a really good job of kind of capturing that kind of commitment to detail. So, yeah. And these guys are pretty unfiltered. Like, I have not heard them do a lot of interviews where they're this forthcoming yeah. and honest, which is something I'm going to talk certainly like almost start with Jordan. Yeah. Like, how did you get everybody to agree to this? Yeah. Do they know that, that you were recording? Um, so that, it's one of those types of things. So it's really, really cool. Um, and I'm excited to talk to Jordan about it on Wednesday. If you want to listen ahead of time, of course, to the play callers, you can do that. Uh, you're welcome. The athletic for the free plug. Uh, but you can go check that out <laughs> on the athletic football's uh, feed. And then we're going to talk to Jordan about it on wednesday today though we answer mailbag questions uh and this one actually logan our first ever question from threads the new instagram version of twitter is that a thing oh wow. yeah have you missed that no yeah i just assume that i miss anything related to social media like i'm barely hanging on right now so that's a good point uh yeah no this is this is uh from threads and so I want to I want to get the exact question. This here is a great question. Back up, uh, but it's about roster construction. It's super interesting. So uh, Jay Inky thirty two says 
roster construction given a blank state for today's NFL, in which positions do you spend a lot on free agents? Where do you build through the draft? And where are you content with just a guy? Yeah. I mean, this is such a good question. And I'm sure we could do, you know, like probably two shows on this, but just, you know, we got a 15 minute segment. So to me, I think when you look at the NFL and I think when you look at the analytics, where you want to spend the most money is obviously quarterback, right? I know that's kind of like a throwaway thing, right? Quarterback, you want to kind, well, of, kind of, right? Like well, you want to get the best you value. Get the, you want to get the, you want to get the guy there. You want like, if you can get Patrick Mahomes, right? I know that's like, oh yeah, wait, great insight, yeah. Logan. You want to get yeah. Patrick Mahomes. Like you want to, like you would be willing for Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, maybe Lamar Jackson's in that tier. I don't know. But those top kind of five guys in the league, you'll move heaven and earth to make that happen. You know, that was one of the things with the Deshaun Watson trade, right? Is like they thought they had a top three quarterback in the NFL that they could use and kind of elevate the Cleveland Browns roster. And obviously, like that's yet to be seen whether that pays off. But in terms of money, resource allocation, roster construction, that's the most important position in all of sports. And you got to get a guy there. Now, to your point, which I think is really astute, it's you got to get a guy who's good. You know what I mean? You got to get a guy right. who's good for that money. Like if you're looking for a top five guy in the league, like you're giving up draft capital, you're giving up money, you're giving up a big portion of the salary cap. It all makes sense, right? And that's not great insight by me. That's just obvious work, right? Right. So here's what I would say, though, in response to the way the question is asked, like, where do you want to draft? Where do you want to spend big free agent yeah. money? Where do you okay with just a guy? I do not want to spend big free agent money at quarterback, free agent money specifically, right? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, the chances there's, are, yeah, obviously, well, there's there's context there, right? If if for right. whatever reason, Patrick Mahomes is a free agent, hundred percent, you go for or it. Patrick right? Mahomes is never a free agent, and Correct. that's kind of like the that's thing the point, is, yeah. you know, why is a guy who's good at the most important position in pro sports available? That's right. always my question. And like, once a decade, you get a Drew Brees situation where he's available because he has a really bad injury and yeah. that injury caused a very bad season. And that bad season meant that they, the team, the incumbent team could draft his replacement. And there's enough of an injury risk that they, they're choosing to go younger. And I say once a decade, because that's pretty much when it happens yeah. once a decade, Drew Brees, once a decade, Peyton Manning to Denver, yeah. mm -hmm. um, they draft luck, you know, it was, it was rivers to, uh, San Diego at the time. Yeah. So like, if you, if you get that once a decade guy, fine Go other than it. that i think the the strategy is to just keep drafting guys till you get the guy because so. you know where, where do you want just a guy not at quarterback you want someone special and so it's worth to continually kind of do what the the cardinals did um where they drafted josh rosen didn't seem to be the guy uh they move on and draft kyler murray one overall the next year because it was worth it to them for you know the upside of what kyler could be yeah, and I think that's a great point. Like, because I even look at like Russell Wilson. I'm sure when Denver made that trade, they thought, "Oh, we're reliving the exact kind of formula of Peyton Manning. We're going to get him for two years. We'll win a Super Bowl." And obviously, it wasn't he wasn't that guy anymore, right? And you know, we'll see what happens. And I think I want to bring this up just to kind of, um, you know, just for some context. Like to me, the most important thing about your team are your coordinators. You know, like if you have Kyle Shanahan as your OC. You can get away with Derek Carr at quarterback. You can get away with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, right? You can kind of it, – it insulates that process a little bit more. So if I'm a front office executive, like I – you know, the head coach is really important. But I want to make sure that head coach is bringing in somebody that can elevate that position, right? So like to your point, I think you bring up a great point. Like in free agency, you're probably not going to get that dude, right? But I – if I'm Kyle Shanahan, if I'm Sean McVay, if I'm Matt LaFleur – 
I'm okay with not getting the guy because I know that I can win with Brock Purdy. I know that I can win with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think Matt LaFleur right now thinks he can win with Jordan Love. Look at Mike McDaniel in Miami. He can win with Tua Tungavailoa, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> and obviously they're very talented guys like arm talent, you know, quick release, athleticism, but they're definitely not a top five quarterback at their position. Right. Well, what what I would say, though, is part of the genius of those guys is they know what they want. Like Brock Purdy yeah. is not some random guy. Like no. Kyle identified Brock Purdy as, you know, like his S2 score, for instance, was extraordinarily high. Yeah. And again, we spent a lot of time in the draft process on S2. But like what that essentially measures is your decision making. Sure. And he, while Brock Purdy lacked some of the physical talent and skills and even production at the college level, there were things, there were traits that Kyle looked at and said, this guy's going to learn quickly. He's going to make good decisions. I can put a certain amount on his plate that, I, that we can win with. And he went on and executed those things. And Ky between Kyle's ability to insulate and put the correct amount on his plate and for Purdy's, you know, uh, superior for, especially his draft position, mental processing, yeah. he made, you know, that's, that's not an, an accident. <clears throat> it's not like you could put any quarterback as Mr. Irrelevant in last year's draft. It, Kyle knew what he was getting in Brock, maybe not to that level. I was going to say, um, but like <clears throat> to an extent, that's an intentional choice for that that guy to be Brock Purdy. You know, I was going to say though, like if Kyle was that confident, he takes that guy in the third round, fourth round, right? Sure. There, there's a reason that he's the seventh pick. Like they obviously liked his evaluation. They made him Mister Irrelevant. They could have drafted literally anybody else that was available. They picked him. They want him on the roster. They want him to be a Forty Nine er. So I think that's that's a very good point. But so to me, I think we've established that like obviously quarterbacks the most important position in sports, right? Yeah. If you have good coordinators, you can get away with stuff there in terms of developing, insulating, all that kind of stuff. I think we kind of hit on a good point there that you can't you can't bank on the free agent guy because usually while they are very talented financially, they don't make a lot of sense for your roster, right? right. Because it really inhibits. That's where like that that inflection point. Like on PFF, they call it the Matt Ryan inflection point or the Kirk Cousins inflection point, where the guy is good, but he's not good enough to take any roster and elevate it. The way a Peyton Manning or the way a Tom Brady, the way, you know, Joe Burrow to a certain extent, uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes can, yeah. can elevate that roster and kind of take you from okay to in contention every single year. So um, I, the, I think that's a really good point by you in terms of free agency. So, you know, the question is, how do you get there? And I think you alluded to it really nicely. It's you draft. You draft, you draft, and you keep drafting until you get a guy. And so that's why, to me, like there's a couple analytics guys who propose this hypothesis that w you should literally take a quarterback every single year in the first three rounds just to kind of make sure that you are giving yourself the best opportunity to find somebody just because the return on that investment is so high. Now, I would kind of slightly disagree with that because I think you're going to end up with like a lot of talented guys that don't play and that are really big value for other teams. But I think that. That principle, I think, comes across really nicely in terms of the value in terms of the NFL um, is really is really closely tied to the quarterback position. Now, kind of leading into the next part of this is like if you can't get the guy, where do you invest most of your money and how do you allocate those resources? I was going to say, so what is the position or are the positions where you actually would spend in free agency? Yeah, so I think um, I think for me, it's receiver. Receiver is really high in terms of free agency and it. And people say, oh, well, like, you know, why not DB, for example? To me, receiver is a skill set, like, from high school, college, NFL. Like, I'm a high school football coach now. 
it translates. It tra- you can see it in another offense. You can see it in a different scheme and say, that guy does X, Y, Z really well. We can magnify that here. You know, like it's not like with a DB where it's like, oh, they play predominantly man or they're used to these kind of rules. There's not like this drastic adjustment. Like literally receiver outside of defensive end might be the easiest position on the field to learn because you like now there is a little bit of nuance to it. I'm not saying it's like anybody can go out and do it, but like it's a line on a paper and you have to closely resemble that route and be in timing with the quarterback. Right. And you have to be able to win versus man to man coverage. So in terms of guidelines, it's very, very specific. And everyone does the same stuff around the league. Like the verbiage, the terminology might be different, but I'm willing to invest there because I know the transfer is very, very high, unlike some other positions. And like, like DB, for example, like DB, everyone, like all these analytics guys are saying DB should be more valuable in the draft. You should be willing to take them as a top five pick. All these things, you should be willing to spend spend free agent money there. I balk at that a little bit because the DB evaluation is so convoluted. You don't really know the guy until you're like with them in your defense, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, like Forbes was so valuable to this team and maybe not valued the same way around the NFL because he plays cover three match. He plays quarters. He does stuff that they have seen and the transfer rate is so, so high for this defense. So um, that's why I would kind of balk at defensive back. And then the next position for me is probably defensive line because defensive yeah. linemen transfer incredibly well. They transfer from college really well. There's like very solid analytic metrics that support their transfer. So what I mean by that is you look at their uh, PFF run grade production and their PFF pass rush production, and you measure that with their athletic profile, and you basically can just add those up. The people with the highest sums there are the best defensive linemen in the NFL. Like it's pretty straightforward. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh my gosh, like can they do this? Can it's like it's not a, it's not a huge decision making. Correct. Yes, it's like, are you a freak? Have you been productive? Yes, and yes, yeah. you're going to be a good pro. To borrow it's, from John Allen, can you line up and whip the guy's ass in front of you? Uh, I love that because that's exactly what it is, right? And so when I see a guy on a different team do it. And I say to myself, he can probably do it here as long as the scheme is relatively similar. Like to be kind of nerdy football specific here, like I don't want to draft, I don't want to draft a guy who's a good three tech and have him play four eye, which is kind of what they had, they did with John and Duran here for a long time. They were a little bit out of position. And then you see how, like, when I maximize their position in the defense, you know, Duran gets to play more three, John gets to play more three get more one-on-one matchups, how it just explodes their production. So I think there's a little bit of scheme and that's where the coordinators come in. But in terms of guys that transfer super well, that are really easy evaluations, receivers, D-line. And I know there's some scouts out there that probably listen to this that are like, receivers aren't easy evaluations. Like it's easier to say like, yes, he can, or no, he can't. There are different flavors of receiver, but that binary yes, no is a little bit easier, I think. And I think especially once they've already been in the NFL, right? Like it's one thing coming out of college, but can you, if you've done it in the NFL, like, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is going to be bad somewhere else. Yeah. Like DeAndre Hopkins went from Houston to Arizona and was still awesome. Right. Like Randy Moss, uh, when he went back to new England and decided he was going to try again, was the same guy that he was in Minnesota. Like, you know, so as long as, as long as there's not other factors, the skill set doesn't really wear down. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, can you do it at the NFL level? Yes. Okay. Well, then you can do it at the NFL level as opposed to DB. Like William Jackson III was really good in Cincinnati. Yeah. He was awful here. 
Um, and so that DB skill set does not translate the same way. It is far more scheme dependent, um, in what you're actually asking that player to do quarterback, obviously similar. Uh, and as we talked about good quarterbacks don't become available unless there's some major kind of risk running back by the time you become a free agent age is already a factor, unfortunately for them. The other one I think that's interesting is O-line, because I tend to think that O-line translates pretty well, maybe not as well as the other two, but like if, you, if you're a good offensive lineman, you're probably going to be a good offensive lineman no matter where you go. Yeah, O-line's tricky, man. It, it like It's becoming harder and harder to evaluate college O-linemen just because schematically they're doing stuff that's so different from you know most of what the league is doing and the expectations, right? Um, so I think, you know, like there's a, uh, PFF just did a study with offensive linemen, how there's like this third year bump for offensive linemen. Like they kind of are okay. And then by the third year, they kind of explode in terms of their efficiency and production. And to me, that's just like, you're getting more information for your CPU, you know, like you see more fronts, you see more speeds, you see more rushers, you see more, uh, linebacker blitzes, you see more coverage rotations and you're just like, oh, okay. Like I've got it now, you know, like I'm getting more and more comfortable. And so I think, um, you know, offensive linemen in free agency become very valuable, especially if you're asking them to do something similar because it's they're they're just getting smarter. It's like um, I always say uh, offensive linemen are like martial artists, you know, and like it's like the the, the Bruce Lee thing. It's like, you know, the guy that masters a, th- uh, a thousand kicks knows nothing but the guy that masters a thousand kicks one time is like, you know, a, ma- or a genius or whatever the heck the expression is. It's that, yeah. it's, it's that way with O-linemen, really. It's like just the more time they get on task, the better they are. And I think this is a total tangent, so sorry to the question. But I think that's one of the biggest things with the, the current offseason structure that hurts that position more than any other position. Because if I'm a receiver, mm-hmm. I can go out and run routes. If I'm a defensive lineman, I can go run pass rush drills. With an O-lineman, there's something very specific and tactile about getting your hands on somebody working combinations. So um, I think that's an extremely valuable position. I'm going to invest there. I think I'm gonna invest there because there's an element of safety there too. You bring in a bad tackle in the draft, you can play guard, you can play center. You can move that piece around and make sure that works. But um, I think recently it's become harder to evaluate that position group just because college offenses and college defenses are not NFL defenses and are not NFL offenses. And it makes that evaluation slightly more challenging. So, but in terms of hierarchy, that's where I'd go. Quarterback, probably receiver, defensive line, depending on kind of, you know, 1A, 1B there. Offensive line for sure, but it's harder, the evaluation. And then in terms of like what you said, I think running back is basically like there's a million of them, you know? Right. Well, that's, so that gets to the last part of the question, right? Like which positions are you okay with just a guy? And I feel like it's running back and linebacker. Now just a guy is, you know, relative, right? You want an average NFL player there, but if you have an average NFL player there versus if you have an average quarterback or an average pass rusher, like the impact on your team is not going to be as, as significant in part because those two positions are heavily reliant on the lines in front of them, offensive and defensive. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I also think just look at the draft, like look at Brian Robinson, look at Antonio Gibson, look at what they've done, you know, like they're third round picks. It's not like we had to waste all this draft capital with a guy in the first round. It's like, no, they're, they're good NFL pros. Look at um, Jonathan Williams. Like he's a fifth round pick from Arkansas or whatever. He's maybe even undrafted. Like he's a good football player at the running back position. And I think it's, it's just, it's, it's like supply and demand. There's a huge, you know, over overage in supply. 
and it's leading to less demand. And so it's not like you can't find, you know, it's not like they're bad football players. It's just, there's a lot of them that play running back. And so it's like, why do I need to invest? Like, why do I need to invest basically? So that's to me, like, that's not a knock on linebacker or on running back, excuse me. But it's just, it's, I think it's the nature of the position and the direction that it's going. Yeah, the le- the level of player for just a guy is pretty high at running back. Like yeah. just a guy running back can average four, three a carry. Yeah. Um, just a guy quarterback is going to average 180 yards a game and lose you a bunch. Of, lose you a bunch of games. Game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, four, three, four, three a carry running back guy is going to help you win. Yeah. So that's, that's nice. Sorry, yeah. running backs. But you're and just guys, I, and that's that's okay. And then I guess the other one is um, is linebacker, like and linebacker, just because like we've seen with this team, like it's just not a very valuable position. I want guys who can, yeah, I yeah. want guys who can cover better. I want guys, you know, if I need to rush the passer, I want defensive linemen on my roster. It's just a weird position because it's we've talked about it, you know, on, on a million podcasts, but it's hard to the evaluation is terribly hard they the amount of information they have to digest is incredibly high so it's like it's not i could get the best linebacker of all time there you know like luke keekley for example and that makes your defense way better i just think it's so sure. hard to find that guy and then the the return on investment is not that high you know what i'm saying like it's like right. it's well i mean the thing is like how do you this is like optimal if you will but optimal would be finding a hall of famer at every position luke keekley yeah, makes your defense completely different by the same token derrick henry has carried the Titans to how many wins over the last yes, couple of years? Right. So like, it's not like a great Hall of Fame level running back cannot change your entire complexity of your team um, in a, in a positive way that you just like should automatically punt on just a guy, which was kind of the Bijan thing. Like, I love yeah. the Bijan pick for Atlanta because if he's that good and they run the ball that much, he's going to help them win a ton right. of football games. But generally speaking, you can get away with just a guy at that position more. Um, and you don't need to spend a bunch of draft capital or a bunch of free agent money on it. Um, all right, let's wrap it up. One word answer. I'm going to go through all, all basically every position. Um, I want draft free agent, just a guy Okay. quarterback draft draft. Yeah. Running back. I've just a guy, just need yeah. a guy with a pulse right, draft draft can also be like a a fourth round pick yeah, later, right. right okay yeah, so gotcha. like investing investing high premium draft capital spending a lot of money in free agency um or just a guy's either spending low money or late draft pick uh, right. in terms of how you acquire them uh so quarterback draft running back just a guy uh wide receiver i want to i'm gonna big money that's big value for me so i'm gonna like yeah. i'm willing to be a high draft pick Big right. free agency money. You know, I need yeah. I need a guy who's going to make some plays for me there. And, and again, like Terry is a good example. You can find those guys later. The the receiver market's kind of going that yeah, way in the like, draft. And you pay them when they they when, get to their yeah, point, right? Um, tight end, tight end. If it depends on the skill set, obviously. If you got like a Kyle Pitts, like I'm okay with you take. He's like a you know he's a bucket breaker. He's a blue chip guy, right? Um, I would take him very high. But I would say you know like this last year's draft is a really good example. Like if if Washington really wanted a tight end. They could have probably picked a guy in the second or third round and been okay. And yeah. I, I think just premium tight end value, like those first round tight ends, they don't bring the value. It's the same thing with free agency. It's like, it's got to be, there's a reason Darren Waller was traded. And I love Darren Waller. I've said that a million times on this yeah. show. Like there's a reason he was traded. It's just the the position and the transfer isn't always what you want. Right. Um, by the way, I was going to let you let you talk about tight ends because we didn't yet, but you're really crushing this one word thing. Uh, tackles. Tackles, I like, I'm a big tackle guy. So I want good yeah. value there. Like I want okay. good value. 
guard. Well, I'm less fired up about guards. People know that who've listened to this podcast. Just, just a guy. Just center. a guy. Yeah, center. I'm kind of just a guy at center. I know that and he needs so like someone got like after our last podcast, someone messaged me on Instagram and was like, "What do you think he's just a guy? Like, what's going on there?" I forgot who it was. I'm sorry, but honestly, like as long as he can snap the ball effectively and get to his hat landmark in the run game. Like if you can do that, I'm I'm fine. I don't need like a Hall of Fame center on my team. You don't need Jason Kelsey. Although having Jason Kelsey it, is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we're if we're getting wish list, yeah, I want Jason Kelsey or Creed Humphrey. Yeah. Like you know. Yeah, defensive tackle. High value there. I'm looking for you know like first round big free agent guy. Yeah. Defensive end. Same thing. Same thing. Linebacker. Just to, I mean, you know, I draft a guy, but you know, low round guy, yeah. someone that with high athletic, high athletic traits, high athletic upside. Uh, corner. Uh, yeah, I want a good corner. And the Specific, question, specifically draft though. I think so. You know, unless I want, unless you have a free agent who you know is playing the same scheme. Yeah. Like if you're a defensive coordinator, you just hired him from another place yeah. and you're going to bring the guy with you, sure. But other yeah. than that, probably draft. Yeah, I would say draft because then you want to you want to build them in your system, in your language. So yeah, I would yeah. say yeah. Safety. I... The being a watching Cam Curl, I did a breakdown of Cam Curl a couple weeks ago. Watching him, like I'm a little bit higher on that, but I, yeah. he's he's a special case, you know. He's a guy that's yeah. super smart. He's big. He's athletic. And again, he was a seventh round pick. So I I like I like safety in the draft because um, yeah. it's another one like corner that doesn't necessarily translate. Like Jamal Adams, I mean, part of that's injury, but like Jamal but no, Adams in point. Seattle has not been the same dude. Earl Thomas when he started to bounce around, not the same dude. And some of that was the end of their careers. Like Jamal was not. Jamal was you know, arguably the best defensive player in football that one the last year with the Jets, and then uh, is barely played and hasn't played well when he's been in Seattle. Yeah. Um, punter, kicker, long snapper. Uh, you can you whatever. You, you, uh, you got to have good ones, but you don't have to spend a lot of resources, which is nice. Yeah. Unless it's, uh, who's the guy in, uh, Baltimore, uh, uh Justin Tucker. Yeah, yeah. Unless it's Justin Tucker. Seba then. Sebastian Janikowski. Somebody like first that. Round, yeah. First round pick, but actually wound up being a good one. Cause he was awesome for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Fine. Okay. You, you convinced me uh, yeah. kicker in the first round. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, Logan, a little bit faster pace to these questions. We're going to have to go through our offensive line uh, section here. Uh, I got a couple of, of offensive line adjacent questions. Yeah. The first one is quarterback slash offensive line. Um, I'm just going to read the question and then we can we can parse it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quote unquote, why are we risking Sam Howell behind this O-line? 
<laughs> end quote. That's end it. End quote. <laughs> um, I, to me, yes. Like I, 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 I'm trying to. I just think this is a silly premise to the. It's question. a silly premise too. I think it's silly. But what I'm saying is, I'm trying to assume that the question asker is saying like you're risking his development. And I think if 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 you've been watching the team, if you've been following Ron, like they need a guy out there who can play. They think it's this guy, right? And so, you know, like they want guys to win football games. They think Sam's got the best upside of doing that. It allows them to build a good roster around him. And quite frankly, they feel more confident in this offensive line than I think we do. And I think, you know, the more I think about it, I'm higher on the O-line. I, I'm getting, I'm warming to them. But um, dangerous there's, thing. There's, there's. We did nah, that last year on some stuff. It's true. I'm just telling you. It is I'm just true. telling you. Uh, but to me, it's not a risk. It's like he's a fifth round pick. He's right. got to play. He's a second year player. Like he's on the roster for a reason. You think he gives you the best chance to win? I mean, do you see it differently than that? I mean, that's no, uh, because on September, whatever the hell date is, there's a football game and they got to put someone out there and he's the best guy they got. Um, yeah. Or will, or he won't be, and then Jacoby will be out there. It's like, like were they? It's like, were they? Because were they risking Tom? Football. Were they risking Tom Brady when he was behind like one of the worst O lines in football? No, it's like right. he's gonna play. He's your best. What are we player. risking? Yeah, he's, he's football players play football, <laughs> um, and that that's not to take away the humanity of like the injury risk that exists on every snap for every single player. Like, but that's part of what you sign up for. Like, you knew that when you played. Yeah, uh, every guy that I've ever talked to, like, they understand that what it is. I remember I've told this story before, but it's a two sentence story. Like, I remember talking to to Trent one year when he got to camp. I was like, how you doing? And he's like, this is the best I'm going to feel all year. I'm like, oh, cool. It's day yeah. one of camp. You haven't started yet. That's that's really depressing. Best you'll feel for eight months. And I, um, and I guess like that's, the, that's the, what it is. But like risking his development maybe is the way they're going. And to me, it's like, it's not even, it is a risk, but it's, it's, a, it's a fifth round draft pick. You know, he's a fifth round draft right. pick. Like the risk is very low, you know? And so... Uh, that sounds a little bit callous, but like, that's the NFL, man. Like he's there because he wants to start. He's going to start. This is, is this a less than ideal situation? Yes. Are 90% of the jobs in the NFL less than ideal? Absolutely. Like offensive lines. Like, what are, are you waiting of, for? Yeah. Right. For him to get traded to the Eagles? Yeah. Like, be able to play behind them? Yeah. Like it's I not going to happen. Like, it's just like, he's got to play and it's, and we, we're going to talk about this more later. Like he's got a new OC, you know, new, new terminology, offensive line it doesn't have like a bunch of big names like but you gotta play and like this is this is the time so that's it is kind of a funny question the development yeah but that's like i've you've seen it you've covered the team for a long time like you can't always you can't always wait for people to develop i'm also a little bit of a sink or swim guy um not that, <laughs> not that there aren't situations like what happened to david carr in houston was ridiculous it was terrible yeah like that dude got laid out behind a battle line and never had a chance and like that wasn't fair he was yeah. playing in like a borderline unprofessional situation yeah however i think beyond that kind of circumstance the good ones are going to figure it out like yeah. you're not going to have you're going to have a game in december in a year where your team is good that three O linemen are hurt and you're going to have to figure out how to play so yeah if that's Tom Brady back there, like people, and if they lose, people are gonna be like, what happened to Brady? And it's yeah. like, well, he had three of his own linemen now. It's like, I don't know, care. He's Tom Brady. Like that's yeah. what it takes to win in the NFL. So um, is there, is there always a, a line of development where you're better prepared perhaps later after some experience? Absolutely. But generally speaking, either Sam's going to be good because he was going to be good or he's going to be bad because he was never going to be good. And you know, all we're doing is figuring it out sooner rather than later. Um, and, and, you know, this idea of what he could be gets crushed for some people because he stinks, 
well, that's probably because he it wasn't what you thought he was going to be, or he turns out to be that, and that's great, and you know faster, and he wasn't. You know, we're not five years down the line going, why hasn't this guy been playing the last three years? Yeah, yeah and I think it just goes back kind of to just, you know, lay another serving of whatever we're talking about. It's just like he, if he's the best guy on your roster, you know, he's the second-year player, he's got to play. Like, it's unfa- it's unfair to the staff. It's unfair to the players. So why are you willing it's, to sacrifice Jacoby? Well, like, I'm just – like, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's if Jacoby's better, he should play. You know what I mean? It's like right. if, if that's your best guy – play and uh right. and again is it is it going to be perfect no but like there's so many times like rex grossman for example he said this to me he's like you know nobody nobody cares nobody cares about the situation it's like he had this thing in chicago didn't go well he lost a starting job he's like it took me i think it was like eight years to get back to the starting position and and was his situation when he got back ideal no that team was not very good i was on the team like it wasn't the best team of all time you know <laughs> But like he grabbed that with two hands and was like, we got to make this work because this is the last opportunity I'm going to get. And I think that's what fans need to understand. It's like you don't get a lot of bites at this apple and it's not always going to be a perfect, pristine, fresh apple off the shelf. Sometimes it's got a little brown on it and you're going to take it because you're hungry and you want to eat it. So I think that's kind of how I feel about this opportunity. Right. Uh, next question along these lines to the offensive line. We've talked about this a lot, so we can move pretty quickly through yeah. this, but like, how can Eric Bieniemy help the offensive line? What pr- creative things can he do to quote unquote protect this O line from its uh, own averageness, mediocrity, or badness, depending on who you ask? Well, I think that's the thing is like a lot of O lines in the league are like average, and I think you're yeah. looking for an average O line. You're not looking for like I mean Philly's a great example. Like they're the best O line in football. They hit on some guys you didn't expect to hit on. They became really good. Most of the O lines that you play with have to be insulated from drop back passing. So how do you do that? Chip help. Play action, screen game, RPO, misdirection, keepers. Like, And this offense in Kansas City has a lot of shades of that. So I think this is going to be a situation where we're a little bit worried about the O-line. I got a conversation with a coach today, and it was just like, man, this is going to be so much better for that group because we're not drop back passing every single play. And I And that's something we've talked about. That's something we've seen. And that's yeah. something that just at a bare minimum is going to put those guys in a better position to be successful. Are they going to be perfect? Probably not, but are they going to be average? I think they are capable of being average and that'll win you games in the NFL. For sure. And like the question used the word creative. And I think in some people's minds it's going to be like, Oh, they're going to run jet sweeps and reverses and reverse yeah. passes and halfback passes. And you know, Sam's going to tuck the ball under his Jersey and run around like he's got a baby. Like what, I don't know what people think is going to happen with this offense, but it's just like what modern NFL offense is now. Of good like, offenses. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's going to be more play action. There's going to be more boot. You know, you're going to see a fake that actually looks like a run play that they run as opposed to last year where the play actions and the, uh, the run plays were different actions. And it's like, if you're a smart enough defensive player, you can probably figure out that it's play action. Cause they don't actually run that run play. Yeah. And so it's, it's stuff like that, that, is not really that creative. It's just modernizing to the intelligence of modern NFL defenses and using some of their, what they do against them. Yeah. And it's really not that, like, it's not that complicated. It is hard to, it's really hard it's, to call that and like, do it well. It is much easier to sit here and conceptualize behind a microphone, but the concept ain't that hard and, yeah. and it doesn't require some like genius level of creativity, but it does require and where I think Eric is very well suited is attention to detail, 
on the practice field and the meeting room in terms of teaching the execution and then a discipline in calling it that is going to be the, the question with him that we just don't know yet because Andy was calling the plays in Kansas City. But if he has that discipline to continue to keep that variety on a good mix and a feel for it, then I think that's the answer to the question. Yeah, I think and the, I'm glad you said discipline there because that, that's really what it is. It's just like how sharp can you be for 60 plays as a play caller? Can you stay out of third and long? Can you manage? Can you manage defensive expectations with your play calls? And I think, uh, like you said, that's really what it boils down to. It's really hard to do. It's very, very hard to do. And that's why there's only a couple of really good coordinators in the league. Andy Reid being one of them. Uh, hopefully, Eric Bieniemy falls into that category soon. Uh, but I think that that's a great way to put it. It's it's a it's like a, what is it? It's like it's just a consistent approach, incorporating a variety of ideas down in and down out that subvert defensive expectations. There's nothing magical about it. It's just hard work, feel, and getting that executed. So I think that's a great way to articulate that. All right, last one kind of on the quarterback offensive line uh, section here, and then we'll get to some fun, very random questions. Uh, Alex says, Washington's training camp quarterback or QB1 has been brand new to Ashburn four times in the last five years. So Hal, in his second straight year with the team, actually provides more continuity than we're used to lately. Will that small amount of QB consistency be important in the coming season? I misread that question the first time because he did say, he did acknowledge it. It was like a less than ideal situation. It's like a small amount of continuity, right? Small amount. Um, And I think, yes, I I think, yes, because one of the things. Better than none. It's better than. (laughs) (laughs) It is better than none. Because one of the things that sticks out to me is that like that relationship with the receivers, the offensive line and the guys in the room helps with leadership stuff. You know, it's just, it's like, hey man, like, oh, I like Sam. I know Sam. I can have lunch with Sam. I can approach Sam as opposed to somebody new coming in and being like, I don't know this guy. I got to build that relationship. I got to understand how he likes to communicate. It does kind of um, hamper communication and and that kind of stuff. So I, I think that is beneficial. But in terms of, you know, like big picture, like high level stuff in terms of uh, uh, what was the word he used? Uh, continuity. Um, yeah. Not, there's not a lot of continuity for Sam. It's an entirely new offense. There's a lot of new people on the staff. Like it's, um, it's basically like he almost came in day one when Eric Bieniemy became the coach here. Almost, you know. Yeah. And that's not his fault. That's just how it goes. But um, it is a very small amount of continuity. Um, I think it's important to understand that it's there is a there is a contribution to it, but it's not, um, it's not like this. Wow, he's been in the offense for four years, type of thing. Right. There is continuity with personnel sometimes though, where like, you know, or a quarterback might understand a receiver's body language. Yeah. He's about to break when and things yeah. like that. The problem is Sam didn't really practice that much with the guys he's throwing to now. Like, <laughs> he didn't get a lot of reps with Terry McLaurin last year because Sam was the third string and Terry was the starter. And so outside of Diami, who most of those reps came in college anyway, there's not a lot of continuity even on that level. So yes, from a, a human perspective, there is continuity and that's great. Um, that the great. ability to sit at the lunch table to, to understand how guys tick a little bit. Um, their relationship is different when you're the starter for sure, but there's a human connection that is, is important and is already built. However, from a football perspective, both on the field and within the offense, you know, scheme wise and personnel wise, there's next to nothing. There yeah. is nothing 
on the the scheme side because the enemy is bringing in stuff that's brand new um and he might as well be coming from college into this offense um it's it's just one offense to the next um whether it was a pro or a college there's no difference and then you know personnel wise again he didn't practice with a lot of these guys last year so um that's that's the answer to that. But also you bring up a good point though. Like he, he, it's not like he's starting from college because he has seen NFL defenses. He has seen a week's prep. Like there are things that are helpful, like from a professionalism and interpersonal relationship standpoint, but it is, it, and he can apply that now. But that's second year stuff, not necessarily like continuity stuff. Correct. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, for sure. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. Make sure you are subscribed wherever you're watching or listening right now so you don't make, miss an episode, including our chat with Jordan Rodrigue later this week on her new podcast series, The Play Callers. All right, Logan, uh, very random questions now. Uh, just out of left field, fun. Some of them have absolutely nothing to do with football. Some of them have to do with multiple footballs, if you will. Um, I'm gonna yeah, start with one that I, I just, I just saw this isn't even actually, this wasn't submitted to our mailbag, but I just saw this tweet <laughs> and I thought it was a fun, a fun thing to chop up. Uh, Pat, there's, there's an aerial, uh, photo of Patrick Mahomes new house that is circulating the internet okay. It is a gigantic home. Uh, there's like a mini football field out in the backyard Good for him. Uh, yep. He's got like a golf hole built on his property. It looks like it's like a full size kind of deal uh just one hole but like full size so if you're building your dream house what what one or two like absurd things do you want do you want the giant movie theater do you want a basketball court do you want a football field like what do you what do you want so my answer is probably gonna be different than a lot of people so you could probably answer for me but i'm gonna answer for if i'm building a house right um one of the things that i've learned i've been married a long time been with the same woman now for like 21 years which is crazy to think about but yeah, you, you can see dating in like high school, right? Yeah. Yeah. Since I was 15. So yeah, 21 years with the same girl. So happy wife, happy life. I live by that. You can see these bridles here in the background. My wife's really yep. in horses. So I definitely, if I'm making my own house, we are going somewhere where there's a ton of land. She can have as many horses as she wants. She can rescue as many dogs as she wants. And that would just <laughs> make her the happiest person on earth. For me, I think, and then for my kids, I'd like a spot for them to like hit the go-karts and, you know, go paintballing yeah. out in the woods and go crazy. But for me, I'd like, you know, I want a weight room. I want a nice I knew that was going to be your answer. I want like nice stuff in there. I want, like if it's, if, if budget's no option, I want, you know, like the Rogue Rack. I want the eccentric, you know, overload machines. I want plyometrics i'll get a i don't even really like vertimex but i'm gonna buy a vertimex in there you know <laughs> jump pad i'm gonna you know whatever i can think of it's gonna be there you know and i that's what i'm gonna make happen so Logan's gonna get up and do force plate testing every day yeah i'm gonna be like yeah i want that kind of stuff i want to like have it on my thing you know like i want it to be synced with my ring and i'm just like just data you know out the wazoo and probably a personal chef that would be the other thing that i would be Ooh, that's pretty good. fired i would be like yo you go shopping cook I want, this is what I want my ratios to be, make it taste good. And we're eating, you know, that's what I would do probably. So that's nice. That's nice. How about yeah, you? What no, you got? 
Uh, actually, I need my wife needs to talk to your wife about the horses thing. She <laughs> she rode when she was younger. And, oh, really? Um, yeah, that's like actually a conversation off air that we should we need to have. So oh, yeah, the horses sure. thing would be would definitely be good on that front. Um, I've always wanted a basketball court. Like I've always like wanted, in the house or like outside. Yeah. No, no, no. Like indoor Those with the cool. wood. Like I with the with like the hardwood. Like I I want it. I don't know. I'll, I'll come up with a logo for myself. If I'm yeah. Not, like the, uh, um, oh gosh, I was, I went on a, from that, that, that successful, you know, I went with somebody on a house. Like I couldn't buy this house. I went with one of my friends. I forget who it was. And they were looking at houses with indoor basketball courts. And I was like, this would be awesome. Like they had the rack of balls all lined up. It was the person's yep. name. And they were talking about switching the logo and the colors. And it had like this cool, scoreboard. Yeah, like cool natural lighting. It was like I was like, this is sick. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. wasn't like a in a dungeon. They had like these nice windows, and it like walked out to the pool. And I was like, yes. if I was if I'm living my life, like, I mean, if we're if, if budget's no option, man, gym and basketball court. Let's make it happen. You know, maybe a batting right. cage in there. Let's just go well, crazy. That's why I was like, that's why I was like, let's pick one, <laughs> um, because like, yeah, I want. I want my own IMG Academy. That yeah, would be like, cool, but I like, I want my own personal strength coach to live with me and then train me. <laughs> you know, like that, I want all sorts of stuff, but yeah, I think the uh, indoor basketball court has like a really cool, it, when it's done nice, I, I don't want like a dungeon indoor basketball court, but one that's like, like to your point, like if like, I got like a nice view, that would be sick. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah. That would just be, I just, I miss being able to play. And like, part of that is you don't have, like, it's hard to find a good indoor gym. Yeah, and so if you have one in your house, you can go get shots up whenever you want. Like you can host. Are you, are you playing game. basketball like that? I would love to. I have not played pickup in so long. I used to play when I lived. But the, in, pro in the problem when it's in your house, though, bro, is that you need people to come. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's you, what I'm saying. Is like I would have to go somewhere. So why don't I just make them come to me? <laughs> Do you have enough friends to play pickup basketball like that? I, you could find people. I mean, you just need you need nine others. You, you actually you really need. You really need like 12 for yeah. good. That way, that way you got one sub. Yeah. No one's super guest. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we could, I mean, between my, my friends who play and like their friends, like we could, we could make it happen. Yeah. And that would be pretty yeah. sick. Cause then you'd go to your, then like you'd play, you go out to your pool and go watch a movie afterwards, have your personal chef. Right. That is living right there, bro. You just serve. Yeah. Oh gosh. I wonder how much that would cost, but this is all pretend. Know. This is all hypothetical. It also, it also depends on where it is. Where where is this land? Because if it's anywhere around here, it's uh, it's a lot. Like for yeah. a night for for a nice decent house, uh, we've we spent a little bit too much time on Redfin and Zillow lately. And <laughs> yikes, bro! Inside the Beltway is not a, not a pretty yeah, scene. Not a, not a uh, spot to be. No. Uh, all right. Uh, now we got. If that wasn't random enough, uh, favorite restaurant in the DMV. Yeah, I don't even. You know, I'm I'm lame, Craig. So I'll you let you like. I don't, I go out a fair amount, but I'm going to like fast stuff. You know, it's like Cava or Chipotle or, you know, yeah. where the you macros. You also got kids, which is a game changer. It's, it's a game changer. I, I will say there was an Italian restaurant in Georgetown. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. But it was like Mama G's or something like that, where they, they have like this Italian woman that makes pastas in the front window. Like it's mm -hmm. a display. And mm -hmm. that was some of the best Italian food I've ever had. And we, last time I was there was before kids, but that spot was 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 pretty amazing so i would say that was like just as a spot that kind of stuck out to me as like a really unique dining experience with really good food yeah. really cool ambiance that'd be one i can't even remember the name of it but that would be what i'd say so 
also price point is obviously a big factor here. Um, <laughs> if it's like the, the once every six month category versus yeah, where are you going? Or once a year, like sushi Nakazawa was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. That is also the most I've ever put down. Now some of it friends were like Venmoing back that we were with, but like that was, that was the most, how much, how much money was down. it? How much was it? Uh, I think that, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell the, the backstory here. Uh, <laughs> my cousin is an accountant, uh, okay. like a corporate tax accountant. And he and his girlfriend and me and Rachel went out with him because he always, and he did our taxes. So like he, um, every year gives, treats himself to like a really nice sushi after busy season. We're like, we'll go with you. We'll get yours because, uh, you did our taxes and we went for it. And that was a $1,400 dinner for the four of us. 1400. Okay. Which like considering like for an NFL, like that's nothing like there are guys that like, that's a Tuesday for them. <laughs> you get the nice bottle of wine, but like yeah. for me. That was yeah. That was, I, that was a hefty, hefty. I point. will say that's a nice. That's a nice. You gotta kind of take out some payments on that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's a good. Yeah. That's a we nice. Got little, some of that back, but I was like, whew, buddy. Yeah. The uh, I don't think I've ever spent that much money on a meal personally. I've I've been two meals right. where more has been spent, but that was right. one of the. We're not big drinkers though, so like it's hard for us to spend like insane. But like our more frequent, like not nearly as bad. Kind of my go-to answer for best restaurant slash favorite in the DMV is Little Pearl. Um, now there's, it? uh, it's, it's tasting menu, like okay. prefix kind of deal. Um, but it's not outrageously priced. Um, they're, they're saying is, oh God, it's something, but not fancy. I'm hoping Rachel can hear me through the walls and will text me what the, the saying is, but like, it's, it's just delicious mm -hmm. and, um, fancy, but not formal. Thank you. <laughs> um, fancy, but not formal. And so it's like elevated cuisine and, and the oh, expensive nice. version of this meal is like pineapple and pearl and roses luxury. It's the same restaurant. Group. Oh, okay. Um, but little pearl is always, is always a favorite for us. Um, we've done like, you know, birthday dinners and, uh, you know, when we got engaged that weekend, uh, we went to little pearl. So it's, it's a sentimental value as well. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. You got engaged there. You said no, you got, like after we got engaged, I got you. The next day we went, uh, we actually met the Goras is there, which is great. Oh, that's very nice. Um, last one, uh, unless you have any of the other fun ones that you wanted to throw no, out. No, you got all um, the fun ones. But someone asked me, what, what do you think, uh, is the best comparison for Washington for an English football team? Now this is not your area of, despite the fact that one of us played high school soccer and it wasn't me. Yeah, I it, I think I've told you this before. I had, a, I had an offer to play Division One soccer, which is crazy to think about now because I'm like fat and like I couldn't run more than like 25 feet. But back in the day, I was pretty good at soccer. Yeah, different different body type. Uh, you you conform to NFL tight end quite. That well. is true. Yeah. Um, but which which English Premier League team, which English football team, uh, do you think is the best comparison for the Washington Commanders? So I, I pulled up the list of uh Well, because it had it'd have to be someone who was good like fifteen right. years ago that is no longer that good. And, and you know, maybe on the uptick, I don't know, but that's kind of what was my criteria when you mentioned that. Obviously. Right. And that's that's kind of what I was looking for. Um and I actually like it's not a perfect comparison, both in terms of they've been successful too recently. Right. Um and they're also historically far better than Washington, not to diminish three Super Bowl championships and some other, you know, championships in the pre-Super Bowl era. Yeah, it's all relative. Like, Manchester United was the best team for a long time, including some of the same stretches yeah. where like they won in 92, 93, or sorry, 93, 94, 94. 
96, 97. And then like kind of through that era, through the mid two thousands, honestly, like Oh nine, they won in 2011, 2013, uh, they won the league. And so they're probably overly successful, but they also haven't been terrible in the last decade. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about Washington's they've been sneakily mediocre. That's um, a good point. Yeah. And so like, that's one that comes to mind. If you want to go like maybe a little bit too far, the other direction, like an Everton's a good one. Um, Why? an incredibly proud club with a long history of winning a fairly long time ago that has, I mean, they, they almost got, they've never been relegated, but they were, they skated through this year. Like they were the last team that did not get relegated <laughs> this year. Their fans are still loyal as hell and also have been through an immense amount of sadness. Mm. Um, they hate their current ownership. Um, although that's, you know, obviously about to change here in Washington. That can also be said, by the way, for Manchester United. Mm. Um, part of the change was the Glazers, actually, the team, the family that owns the Bucks, mm. bought Manchester United oh. and they have not been nearly as good since. Um, so that is some somewhere between Manchester United and Everton, um, which I realize is like kind of the entire scope <laughs> of the Premier League. But I feel like there's there's facets of both. I need I need my guy Roger Bennett to come on in uh, for Men and Blazers. He he'd have a great answer to this. He by the way is an Everton fan. Oh well, I think those both those sound reasonable, and I'm sure like you can draw comparisons to all those. But yeah, that sounds about right. I remember yeah Manchester United being awesome. They're not good anymore. Yeah, I mean they're good. They're actually kind of finally swinging back up. No, but they are not top of the league. Well, maybe that's um, they, where they Washington's going, like, swinging right. back up. Right. Um, I'm just waiting for someone to tweet like, oh no, it's Blackburn Rovers, you big wanker. Can I say that on this show? I don't, I don't know. know if Nick, you can. Uh, Maybe bleep it, bleep, but that's okay. That if that, you should also bleep the entire accent portion of that because it's not good, but you keep doing it. So it's kind of a fun bit now. That yeah, was better. That of, was better than most of your accents though. Uh, it depends on whether I'm trying. I feel like I have some good accents. Maybe that's a, <laughs> that's a different show for a different July. You just, could you imagine like next show tune in last segment, Craig does accents. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The, that's good. Radio do like full, do a, do a show fully in an Australian accent. <laughs> German. Right. I don't know. Okay. I don't All know. Right. It's tough. It's tough. Well, I, we can maybe do this. If you want to see Craig do accents and no, just you leave, it, leave them in the comments. And we'll just have a segment, five minutes. Craig does accents. We'll think of a I better imagine, title. I just imagine the higher ups looking at the graph of like episode <laughs> listens and be like, "What happened on that one? That's <laughs> nobody liked that one. Oh, that yeah. was the one Craig did completely talking, uh, talking like a German." Yeah. Uh, all right. When uh, we get back on our next episode, we will have this. This no accents, just straight incredible football conversation. Yeah, nerdy football talk. Uh, Jordan Rodriguez uh, did a series called The Play Callers for The Athletic. We will talk to her about that. So make sure you're subscribed so that hits your feed as soon as the episode goes live. Uh, of course, for full podcast episodes on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash at 1067fan to watch. Make sure you subscribe there. Uh, the radio shows on the Team 980's YouTube page uh, every day from 4 to 7. So subscribe there. And I got clips of both at youtube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. Uh, All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Take Command, and we'll see you later in the week.